So the title of this morning's message, as you can see in your bulletin, reads as The Gospel and Leadership. I'd like to clarify a few things before we dive into this issue in God's Word. First, when I say the gospel and leadership, I don't mean that we're going to just have general conversations about leadership. We're going to be thinking about church leadership in particular. So if you wanted to be more clear, it would be the gospel and church leadership. Another thing to clarify would be the importance of this topic and issue. Now, as Christians, I think it's hopefully well agreed upon in this room that in that statement, the gospel and church leadership, the most important thing in that statement is what? The gospel. And as we have said at previous occasions, or as I have tried to communicate, when we think about these two ideas, the gospel and then like leadership structures in the church, we could say, well, the gospel is what really matters and church leadership structures that's less important, so it just doesn't matter that much at all. We can agree to disagree on how it's done, or et cetera, et cetera. I think one better way to approach this topic is to realize that the structures of the church, therefore included in that, the leadership of the church, is one of the ways God is going to use His church to uphold the gospel. So for those of you that weren't here, I think it was about a, a year or two ago, we were teaching through the book of Titus, and through that teaching, I gave this illustration. I said, the gospel is a beautiful jewel or diamond. So any of you that have been proposed to or received a, a diamond ring, you know that a diamond is only so good as the ring or the necklace or the piece of jewelry that's surrounding it to uphold the diamond in the sparkling, glimmering light. Like what good would it have done if I would have pulled out of my pocket just a diamond and said, will you marry me? And by the way, don't lose this. Something so valuable needs to be surrounded and upheld by something that's strong and firm and will then display to everyone else how beautiful it is. Well, God, in His design, has chosen that the church would be the means or you could say the prongs that will be surrounding the diamond to uphold it so the rest of the world can see just how wonderful Jesus is. That means what we're about to talk about today, church leadership, is extremely important. Now, is it as important as the gospel? No, it's not the diamond, but it is really important because it upholds the diamond. So as you're thinking through issues in the Bible, you need to realize that there's a spectrum, there's, there's levels here. And the greatest and most important level is the gospel. And you need to get that right, you need to believe it, you need to teach it, you need to hear it, you need to be enamored and overwhelmed by the gospel all the time. And that's what we say pretty much every week, right? But there's other levels of other things that are important, not gospel importance, but important things. And then there's things that we can agree to disagree on. And so when we get to this church leadership, realize it's somewhere in that middle to, if not closer to, really, really important category. And in fact, if I could put it this way, church leadership is probably one of the things that you either don't hear anything about in the Bible, being taught, or you hear it taught very poorly. 
whether by example in the churches that you've been in and come from, or even from the mouths of preachers like myself. So knowing that's the case, let's first make really clear what it is we mean by the gospel. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at church leadership. First, the gospel. I'm going to be brief. I want to be clear. The gospel is the good news that the creator God of the universe has made a way for us sinners to be reconciled with God through his death on a cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his hope for a new world to come. The gospel is a news, a declaration of news about an event in history that's happened 2,000 years ago. And so every week we get to stand not on political opinion or the latest philosophical idea, but we stand our faith on the news that there is a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who left his throne in heaven, came down on this earth, lived a perfect morally righteous life, a life that you and I could not even dare to dream of living. And for calling himself the Messiah, the long-awaited prophet of God, the, the final and great prophet of God, he was crucified by Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers. But because of that death, God, in his great mercy, likes to take awful things like murder or unjust trials or unjust government leaders flip them on their head and make it the most wonderful, beautiful thing in all of history. He resurrects Jesus from the dead and makes him the King of kings and Lord of lords and offers to all of us this wonderful gift of salvation. Salvation, my friends, the gospel offers you free grace. Salvation comes only by your faith, not by works, so that no one would ever boast to think I did something to save myself. That's the gospel. That's what we preach and proclaim here. The basis of our relationship with one another and the basis of our church is that declaration of news. But how does that get upheld? How does that get supported? What are the prongs that make sure that the gospel's held tight and doesn't fall out of its facets? Well, church leadership is one of those things. So last, last little word before we get into the points in this passage. I'm actually going to flip the script a little bit. It says the gospel, and I've said church leadership. When I was looking at these passages again this week, I realized it's talking about church leaders, but it's really talking to church members. So, as a good nine marks, by the way, nine marks is a, a ministry that I was discipled and tutored under, and so for three years I spent time underneath a pastor who established a ministry in Washington, D.C., and the title, the name of that ministry is called The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. So in light of that, I have nine marks of healthy church members as they relate to their leaders. Nine marks of healthy church members as they relate to their leaders that come from Hebrews chapter 13. So would you please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13? I'm going to read verses 7 through 17. And we are going to see in this section of Scripture that 7 introduces the idea of leaders, and 17 kind of wraps up the bookend of this section in Hebrews 13. So first, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders. 
Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give have to give an account. Let them Do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then he encourages them in verse 18 to pray for the leaders. Pray for us. So what I want you to see is that in this section of Scripture, verse 7 and verse 17, and then even flowing into the prayer for him as a church leader, there's bookends. And what we're going to do today is just look at the bookends, and then next week we're going to look at the middle in between it. So don't think that we're skipping over those verses. We're going to just think about this one issue as it comes in 7 and 17. And so my nine marks of a healthy church member as it relates to church leaders comes from these two verses. First mark. It's sad that I have to say this, but a healthy church member knows their leaders. Like they know who they are. Don't these verses kind of imply this? I know it doesn't explicitly say. They know their leaders, but remember your leaders. How do you remember your leaders if you don't know who they are? They spoke God's word to you, and you are to imitate their way of life and their faith. They know what their their lives were made of and the outcome of them in verse 7. And in verse 17, there's an obedience and a submission to these leaders that they will be given an account for them, and that they're to do this with joy. One of the biggest surprises of starting Embassy Church was to hear how many of you throughout the last two years have been surprised and found it strange that you could come over to the pastor's house and spend time with him one-on-one. I don't know how many times I've heard, way too many times, that's Let's just put it that way. Way too many times where somebody has said, I just can't believe I'm talking on the phone to my pastor right now. Because what I would normally say is, I can't believe you're saying that statement. Why is that so strange that you're spending time with your pastor? And it was because from your experiences in other churches, the pastor was untouchable, unknowable. Friends, this should not be. That is foreign to the New Testament teaching on the church, This does not uphold the gospel well, and it doesn't do justice to these scripture passages. How are you going to be held accountable for the people you don't even know, and how are they going to obey and submit people that you don't even know who your leaders are? 
What should be normal is that you know your church leaders. That's healthy. Not knowing your church leaders is unhealthy. So I ask you, do you know the church leaders of embassy if you're a member of embassy? And I'm sure in relational contexts and the time that goes on, we can't know each other all in the same way. But I ask you, do you feel like you know them? And if you're here this morning and you're not a church member, you've been visiting maybe for a little while or maybe just recently, one of the most important questions for you to answer is this. Who is your church leader? Who are you doing these scripture passages with? Who are you imitating? Who are you hearing God's word from? And who are you obeying, submitting to? Who's keeping watch over your soul? Do they know that they're keeping watch over your soul? And vice versa, have you even chose somebody to do that with? See, one of the strange phenomenons of modern-day Christianity and United States churches that live in a, a free society where anybody can worship and do anything is that you can just come and go as you please from a church service like this one. And friends, I think that that's a wonderful thing for the flourishing of God's Word and the Gospel, isn't it? Isn't it great that we can gather here this morning and we don't have to fear persecution? We don't have to worry about people telling us that we need to stop telling us, telling other people about the good news of God. This is great. But the side effect of that is that there's sometimes no accountability. There's no sense of commitment. And it's just, I can come and go as I please like I come and go in a shopping mall. And a lot of times that's what people do with church. They just kind of shop, church shopping. They hop around from place to place. Or if you want to switch the metaphor, it's like dating. I don't want to get married. I'll live with the person. I'll be close and intimate with them. I'll know them to some degree, but I won't commit myself to them. This is what I mean by do you know them like this? Do you have church leaders that they know you and you know them like this? I think this is not the gospel but it's really, really important for you to think through these issues for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of your own soul. Second mark of a healthy church member as they relate to their leaders. They know their leaders. It's the same, same phrase. So if you're taking notes, point one, they know their leaders. Point two, they know their leaders, big S, emphasis on the S. There's more than one leader. Did you notice this? Verse 7, remember your, not leader, but leaders. Verse 17, obey your leaders. And then skip over real quick to verse 24. Greet all your leaders, plural. It's interesting, it's, it's a small observation, but it's interesting that not just here in Hebrews 13, but pretty much everywhere else in the New Testament, Church leaders are referred to in the plural form of the word, meaning it would be abnormal for a church to have just one domineering leader who is in charge of everything. Even if he's not domineering, it would just be abnormal to have one leader who's great and kind and wonderful and gentle. The point is, multiple leaders is healthy, therefore a healthy church member would know that they have more than one leader. What does this mean for you and me? I am not the pastor or the leader of Embassy Church. I am a leader of Embassy Church, a pastor. 
The word pastor and elder are interchangeable in the New Testament. So when we have four elders at Embassy Church at the current moment, because we see that there should be plurality and multiple leaders, then that means I am one of those four men. I am not higher than them. I don't have 50% of a vote, and then they have the other 50%. We are equal amongst us. I do more teaching than they do on Sunday morning, and other than that, there's really no difference among us. This, however, again, seems to, in our day and age, and in this general church culture, to be a strange teaching, whereas this should be normal. It is unhealthy when church members think that they have to be very close with a specific leader in the church. For example, some will view my position, because I teach more than others, as somehow more authoritative than others, and so, no, no, I don't want to listen or meet or spend time with the other church leaders. I only want Pastor Phil. Friend, that's pride. These other men are well-qualified, know God's Word, and can serve you just as well as I can. We have different varying gifts and experiences and things to bring, but you need to know this. Those men are just as much a leader as I am. It would be foolish and incorrect and unhealthy for you to think that I have some special access to God. I'm holier than thou, or I'm a super leader. If I get a word from, I give a word to you that it's, it's a better word than somebody else gives. In addition to that, it's unhealthy when a church is prioritizing or, or putting everything around one leader's gifts, and the church is built around that leader. That too is unhealthy, friends. So regardless of how much you like or don't like me, Realize this church is not about me, and friends, please do not help my ego make it about me. Let's remind one another, Phil, it's not about you. My wife has a special gift in that, by the way. <laughs> Knowing your leaders means that you know that God has given you a wonderful gift, more than one leader. Know that I am going to try my best to spend my time knowing that you have graciously allowed me to not work a second job. This is my primary job. Praise God that the financial health of embassy makes it such that I can do those things. Therefore, I might give my time more than the other leaders do because this is my full-time job. I might give it more to teaching and more to counseling and more to meeting than other people. But know this, even though it's my full-time job, I cannot meet with every single one of you every week one-on-one. I can't talk on the phone with all of you for hours every single week. That's impossible. And I would be an awful leader and a horrible example of how to care for my household well if all I did was spend time with all of you. I do have a wife, and she's lovely. And I should care for her well for your sake and hers and my children, right? So let us know that because there's multiple leaders, part of that is so that way you can go to them and receive God's word and his grace from these leaders. Healthy church members know that there are leaders not just a leader. And the more that we see Pastor Phil as just a leader and not the leader, the healthier this church will be. Point number three. Healthy church members know that the basis of their leader's authority is the word of God. Which is why you can so easily go to any of the leaders because we're going to give you the same thing. Jesus Christ, the goodness of God's promises in the gospel, and we're going to counsel you from his word. Therefore, you need to understand that our basis is the speaking of God's word. This is from verse 7. Remember your leaders, because those are the men who speak God's word. And what we find, not just here in verse 7 of chapter 13, but really all through Scripture, is what sets 
leaders in the church apart from really any other church member is the fact that they teach and speak God's word with great clarity. That's one of the two main marks a church leader has to have. Speaking and teaching God's word clearly so that you know he's not telling me what his opinion is. He's not telling me what his preference is or his suggestions are. He's saying, this is what God's word says and this is how it applies to your life. So don't listen to me, listen to God. That's a good church leader. Do you understand that? Do you understand that he's, he's not just using his intellect or his education or his experience or his schooling or his training or whatever else you might think to say this is his authority for speaking into my life? Friends, this is extremely important. I hear this way too often even in my own thoughts. Well, so-and-so has a PhD, so I should listen to them, right? Well, so-and-so has been a pastor for 50 years. I should listen to them, right? I want to acknowledge the, the contours of, I understand that we should give respect to those who have been in ministry for a long time or the wisdom that they could gain and glean from it. But at the end of the day, what it means to be a church leader is not your age, not your experience, not your, your culture or your preference, not your success that you've had in business or in the eyes of the world. The reason why you can be appointed a leader in a church is because you speak God's word. That's what matters. So we have explicit references where Paul tells Timothy, don't let the church look down on you because you're young. Your age is not significant. What matters is, are you telling people God's word and his truth? That's what matters. So how silly would it be to say, well, I'll listen to Mr. Jindoyan because he's a little older than Mr. Howell. They might have different perspectives because of their wisdom. But at the end of the day, all four of our elders at embassy should be giving you God's word. That's the basis of our authority. And the rest of that is just general insight and help that you can take or leave however you please. If we realize that there are multiple leaders and that their basis is the same, these two go in quite nicely together. That's point number three. Scripture alone, the highest and final authority for our life and doctrine, God's Word. Number four, healthy church members will remember and imitate the faith of their leaders. This is direct quote from verse seven, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The reason why it says remember and then the word spoke the word of God to you is actually past tense. So those who have already spoken God's word to you. And then this phrase, consider the outcome of their way of life, means that it's likely that they're either dead leaders that he's referring to here, or just past leaders, men who have gone on maybe to other ministry or other churches or other things like this. Remembering your past leaders is to encourage you to think back of your first encounter with God's Word and who was the preacher or the pastor or the shepherd or the person that spoke God's Word to you and brought you to faith in Jesus. Do you know who that was? I think it would be helpful for all of us to quickly, if you can remember, remember the person who spoke God's Word to you and helped bring you to salvation. Are you thankful for them this morning? I know I am. 
I mean, where would you be right now? Where would your life be? Where would your thoughts be? If God did not intervene in someone coming and bringing God's word to you. Do you ever see people's lives who are a complete mess just because they're failing to hear God's word? Like, that could be me. That could so easily be me. I think one of the things we could do this week as a, as a simple application, maybe even today, if that person's still alive, thank them. Like, I remember when you spoke God's word to me, and I didn't even want to hear it, but you kept doing it. I am so incredibly grateful for what you did. For some of you, this might be your mom and dad, a good friend. I would just strongly encourage you, maybe even today, before you get sidetracked from football frenzies, thank the person who spoke God's word to you. Remember them. Remember not just what they said, but what they were like and their love and their faith and their perseverance to continue to share God's word with you. We're encouraged here not just to remember, but to imitate. Leaders are to live godly lives. I said the the first main mark, what does a leader in the church have to have? He needs to be able to speak God's word accurately. That's, That's essential. But the second and almost equally important attribute of a church leader is he has to live what he is preaching. How awful is it when you hear of the men and women who have taught God's word and then you later find out that they're addicted to some sort of awful sin and the whole time you're wondering, was what they said to me a sham? I remember just recently my wife was saying, hey, I was reading so-and-so's book and I just found out that that so-and-so author, I really liked his book, but he, he just committed adultery. Should I keep reading his books, like the old books that he wrote? Like, are they like now not valid anymore? I think it's kind of like, well, of course, if the book is telling truth, then it's a good book. But you can see how quickly, just because of this adultery, that you're like, well, should I even listen to this person anymore? It is so important for us to see that the leaders of the church have lives that match the things that they're preaching if they are not living in step with the truth, then we should remove those leaders. And I say that including myself in that conversation. Isn't that a weird thing to say? Friends, fire me, please. (laughs) But for the sake of my own soul and for the sake of all of you, as soon as you start seeing any of the leaders of Embassy Church veering off course in their teaching or in their life, it's time to remove them. And the more that you feel like, but I love them so much, and they went and helped with my funeral for my mom or my dad, or, you know, they married my children. I mean, pastors create all of these wonderful memories that you feel sentimental towards, and you're like, well, I just, I love him too much. Friends, that's not grace. It's not grace to treat someone that way that is so awfully leading God's flock, to just let that slide because they've done so many other good deeds in your life. This is often what you hear church members say for why they did not remove the leader when they should have. Well, he's, he's just a really gifted teacher. We like listening to him teach. It doesn't matter how good someone speaks nor what things they did in the past. We must take a stance that leaders in the church must be worthy of imitation. So imitate their lives. And if they're not worthy of imitation, leave the church or remove the leader. 
but first try to remove the leader for the sake of everyone else in the church. Godly character is essential, which leads us to our fifth point. If they don't have godly character worthy of imitation, then you can't say what verse 13, 17 says, which is obey your leaders. So mark number five, healthy church members trust their leaders because the leaders have their best interest in mind. Now I use the word trust instead of obey because this word here is not really a strong word like, all right, my favorite passage to preach all year long, hey, obey me. That's not what's being said here. This is actually a passive word that's saying, trust me, I'm reliable. The word I've given to you is true and reliable. And the things that I'm offering, I'm not a perfect saint, but hopefully you see in me a repentant saint, a repentant sinner that's, that's turning from his sin. And you see a pattern of worthy of imitation. So you can trust me. I know that when pastors from time to time, you're meeting with them one-on-one or you're hearing them preach God's word, you're like, I I can't do that. No, 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 no. I think you've misunderstood my situation. You see, here's my situation, and so therefore my example does not kind of work with what you're trying to say from God's word. I understand it says that in God's word, but I'm kind of a a different situation. That's a lot of times how we respond to teachers and preachers. I have exceptions here. So I don't have to obey God's word in this moment. If the leader knows you and you know them and they're trustworthy, then you should trust them. Because, look at the way the passage says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. This is verse 17 of chapter 13. For that would be of no advantage to you. That little last phrase, that would be of no advantage to you. That's where I'm getting church leaders do not have self-serving interests in mind. They have your interests in mind. A good godly church leader will be a man who will follow hard after Jesus and you will be able to say, I'm following him as that man follows Jesus. And I trust him And I know that he loves me. He has my best interest in mind. And so when he's telling me this, it's not to put burdens on my back. It's not to hurt me or abuse me. It is to love me. Know that God's leaders, who are healthy leaders, should be trusted. But also know that men have throughout all periods of history and in all areas all around the world have taken the authority that God has given them and abused it. They have used this authority to tell people, obey me, submit to me for the sake of money, sex, church growth, their own popularity, and a thousand other wicked motivations. These men you should not obey. These men you should not trust. So please know that we're painting a different picture here. If you think I'm saying, trust and obey any church leader just because he's a church leader. That's not what we're saying. Verse 7, church leaders. The kind of men who speak God's word to you and their life, the outcome of their life is one of good fruit and it's worthy of imitation. Those sort of men, you should trust them. They have your best interests in mind. And not all men will be that way, but the focus of a leader will be the good of the people. Number six. Healthy church members know that 
they ultimately, the church member, is not in charge of their life. You are not the final authority over you. And I don't even care if you're a non-Christian here this morning. That's just obvious, isn't it? Do you really think you can do whatever you want to do? No. There's consequences for disobeying the government and the laws and regulations of the world. You see, to obey and to submit to Jesus, to say, I follow Jesus, is to realize that Jesus tells you to obey your civil government, to submit to your husband, to submit to your boss, and ultimately to submit to your church leaders. So don't say, well, Jesus is my shepherd. I don't need any other shepherds. Jesus gave you earthly shepherds. You're rejecting Jesus' teaching when you say that I don't need earthly shepherds. So you're following a different Jesus that you made up because you're now the ultimate authority of your life and you're just attaching Jesus on it because that sounds nice. Who's ultimately over your life in all of these areas? All of us have to submit to civil government or you're going to go to jail. If you're married, then you have a husband. If you're a church member, realize this. And by the way, when we talk about submission, because this word is not passive, and that's probably why it's not translated trust your leaders, but obey your leaders, because the next word, submit, is, is like the yielding of your way to someone else's way. That's the picture here of submission. But realize that that is called for and commanded for every single one of you to all of one of you in the church, not just to church leaders. In other words, submission is not an ugly, nasty, weird word. In Christian thinking, submission is a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing, and you would be growing in your understanding of God's word the more you see the beauty of submission. Ephesians 5.21, if you want to jot that down and write it later or look at it later. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another, everyone in the church, submit to one another out of our reverence and our fear of Christ. So everybody's going to submit to one another in the church. Submission is not weird. Jesus submitted to the Father and said, not my will but yours be done. If you think that you're going to follow Jesus but not submit to the Father and to Jesus and the church, then you're really not being like Jesus. Because Jesus is a man who submits and lays down his way. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. No, not my will. I will yield to your will. One thing we need to grow in is our seeing that submission is a beautiful thing and therefore we are not ultimately in charge of our lives. So I ask you again, are you really submitting to the authority of the local church as you make decisions for your spiritual life or do you pretty much do whatever you want and then just tell us when you're done? You see the difference between the two? One is, I humbly submit myself to the rest of the church and the council of the elders to say, hey, I have a job opportunity coming up, and that would require me to move and therefore leave this fellowship of people. I'm not telling you that the church is going to say, well, we can tell you whether you should take this job or not. But as your spiritual leaders, we would love to be involved in those huge decisions in your life. Because what a lot of times happens is church members come up to their church leaders and say, hey, by the way, I took a new job and I'm moving. Oh, well, is there a good church where you're moving to? No, I actually looked up. There's not really any good churches for me. So you're about to move your whole family to a place where you won't be cared for spiritually. I don't know if you thought through that so well. 
And that's part of what the church leaders are to do. We're to keep watch over your soul and say, let's think through these things before you make these huge decisions. This isn't to be a micromanager over all of your life to control every little decision you make. It's to help just guide you and think through these things from the Bible's perspective. And sometimes you'll say, you know, it's just a matter of preference or prudence. And you probably got multiple options here. Both are good options. Do whatever you think God's calling you to do. But in your mind, do you think that in general, you're like, no, that decision I just make because I'm in charge of my life. I think the scriptures tell us that submission to one another, to our church leaders, and ultimately to King Jesus would be a beautiful, wonderful way to show we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We're a part of his bride, his church. And therefore, these big decisions affect his bride and his church very significantly. So think through that aspect of whether or not you are in submission to the other members or church leaders and how you're doing that. Number seven, healthy church members understand that they will only submit to church leaders who are taking their jobs seriously. The Scripture says here, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. I would not for a second think of joining a church if I didn't get any sense from the elders and pastors of that church that they think much about that phrase. See, Verse 17 begins, obey your leaders, and that would be the, the happy part of, you know, the control maniac kind of pastors that say, yeah, this is my favorite verse, tell people, obey me, right? And then you keep reading, you're like, oh, wait a second. Here's the hard part. The church leader has to give an account for the souls of those who he's telling to obey. That's pretty serious. And honestly, I can just say this. I've read a lot about heaven and what's going to happen after we die and things along those lines. I've, I've taught on this. On this issue of giving an account, this is all I can say with clarity. I know it's true. I know it's serious. But I don't know how all it works out. I don't know what that means at the end of the day, that I will be accountable for your soul, other than what we read earlier in Acts 20, where, where Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, I did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God to you, so my, your blood is not on my hands. And I, and I think there's a sense to which that might helpfully inform what it means to be accountable for somebody. It's similar to what we read in the Old Testament example of Ezekiel, the watchman, you need to warn the people, and if you don't warn them, then the blood's on your hands. But that doesn't, like, affect my salvation, so what does that mean? And that's why I'm saying there's, like, so I, don't, I get less crowns in heaven, or I get punished. I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know if that particular point of how all this works out is clear, but what I do know is it sounds really serious and really important. And so we as an elder board at Embassy Church, we think about these words pretty much every time we meet. And we pray over your souls. And we think about how we can best care for you. And I would encourage you to not join a church unless they are keeping watch over your soul. The word keep watch is sleeplessness. 
like staying up all night watching to make sure that the enemy doesn't come in and invade. It's the guy in the watchtower that's making sure that no one's coming in, doing an ambush, a secret attack. That's the watchfulness. The secret attacks of sin, the deceitfulness of sin that creep into your life and you don't even see it. And we're watching, we're keeping watch. We should be a serious group of leaders about these matters. Number eight, healthy church members want to increase their leader's joy. Isn't this an interesting phrase here? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I wonder how many times you've heard someone say, you know, I really like that church. That pastor, that pastor complains a lot. You know, when he preaches, he just seems like he's angry all the time. He's really upset and angry with us. Those are the churches that you're like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> Moving on to the next one. Happy pastors make for healthy church members. Do you know that? The more joyful we are in serving you, and ultimately this is laid on our shoulders to find our joy in Jesus regardless of your response to us, but do you realize what makes pastors and elders the most happy? It's not like October Pastor Appreciation Month cards. Now, by all means, feel free to give Pastor Appreciation Month cards. I'm not telling you, telling you to stop. It, it's, it's not babysitting our kids or doing what. I mean, those are wonderful gifts of thanks and service, but I can tell you without a doubt from my heart, and I assume the heart of the other elders, the most happy we will be is when you heed God's word and you follow hard after Jesus. That's it. I mean, really, I don't even want your money. I don't want anything else from you. I just want you to follow Jesus. Love him. Treasure him. Hear God's word and say, I'm going to apply this to my life with all my heart, soul, and strength this week. I'm going to think thoroughly about these words. You've spent time studying and teaching and giving your life for this book. I want to invest in it in my life. That makes for happy pastors and happy elders. And they will just do it all the more gladly when they see a group of people responding with faith and obedience and submission and, and humility. There's nothing more that we could ask from you than just hear this message even today, which brings us to our ninth and final point. Healthy church members know that Jesus is their leader, the ultimate leader. Healthy church members know that Jesus is their ultimate and final and great leader. So, if I could be so bold, with all authority invested in me by the power of Jesus Christ, I command you, I, I tell you, submit, obey Jesus. Love him. Treasure him. Isn't it so great that in verse 7, he starts talking about earthly leaders? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Oh yeah, and don't forget Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Wonder why that's so necessary to say right after verse 7. Because how changing are our hearts and our lives? 
How unreliable at times are human instruments? How many times will pastors and church leaders let you down, including the ones in this room? I hope we try very, very hard, but do not be fooled to think that we will never let you down or say things that might hurt you or do things that disappoint you. If your eyes and your hopes are on, oh, I finally found the church. It's Pastor Phil, it's Pastor Sam and, and, and Ryan and, and these guys, Paul Seaman, these elders, these, these are the guys and my hope is in them. Friends, oh, we will let you down, please. Put your hopes on Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and he will be there forever. For Jesus is the one in Hebrews who keeps watch over you. And it says in chapter 7, he always lives to intercede for you every day. Bank on it. Interceding at the right hand of the Father as your great and final high priest. You have no priest in this room. You have Jesus as your only and final high priest. Look to him interceding for you every single day. That won't change. He was praying for you yesterday. He's praying for you today. He will pray for you forever until he returns. Look to Jesus as the one to imitate. If you see any good in Sam or Phil or Paul or Ryan or any other member of Embassy Church, it's because you're seeing Jesus. Make no doubt about it. You will see things that are not like Jesus, but those that you do that are good. You're just seeing Jesus come through someone. Realize that Jesus has only and always spoken truth. His word will not fail. It has always been accurate and good, and he never tells lies. He never breaks his promise. He is always joyful. It is for the sake of his joy that he endured the cross. Is that a good leader? For his joy? He wasn't a complaining leader. He didn't go to the cross complaining, oh man, do I really got to do this? He did it struggling, but he said, not my will but yours be done. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's a good leader, a joyful leader. He is not abusive and he never used his authority, nor will he ever, nor yesterday, nor today, nor forever, to use the authority he has over you to harm you. So look to Jesus. He takes his job very, very seriously. And he will bring all of his children home. For he who began a good work will complete it. That's how serious he takes his job. I will finish this. I will see it too through the end. And he will give an answer to the Father for every soul that he has died for. His character is constant. That's what this is saying. The things we think in this world that are immovable, unchangeable, they're things like gravity. Gravity never changes. Things like a big boulder or a rock. Maybe erosion happens slowly over time, but we think of something like a, a rock that's steady and strong and never changes. But all of these pictures, they have nothing to do with thoughts and feelings and emotions, with moral decisions. Who can you think of and who can you say that is so sure and so steady like a rock but is morally perfect and morally steady all the time, yesterday, today, and forever? Friends, there is but one. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, 
is the same yesterday, today, and forever in his moral character, in his decisions, and in his words, and in his promises. Think much today. I command you, obey me. (laughs) Think much on Jesus about his never-changing constancy. Go back to the story of Jonah, and when you come to that part where it says, God changed his mind when the people of Nineveh repented, and you're like, wait, 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 Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 8 say that Jesus never changes. How how is this working together? Friends, that verse is actually proving the never-changing character of Jesus, not contradicting it. Jonah is saying that because God's never changing in his mercy and his grace toward repentant sinners, every time there's a repentant sinner, he will forgive. Don't you see? He will judge those who are unrepentant, and so therefore he can say with sure authority through the prophet Jonah, you will perish if you do not repent. And judgment is coming in 40 days. So repent or perish. And Jonah did not want to go because he knew that God's character is unchanging. If these people hear this word and they repent, God will definitely forgive them. You see how that verse that's used so often to attack the non-changing character of Jesus is actually proving how constant his character is no matter what the circumstances, no matter who or what the sin is. Even people like Ninevites. Even people who bash babies' heads into rocks, rape women, steal stuff, and all kinds of things. Why else do you think Jonah didn't want forgiveness to come to them? He hated those people. They did those kind of acts to his people. But Jonah knew the unchanging character of God. Do you know it? Do you know it in regards to your sin, that if you repent of your sin today, if you fall at your face at the mercy of Jesus, he will forgive because his character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You blow it tonight, guess what? Tomorrow morning, it's the same. So turn from your sin. Repent of your sin and lay down your life before the authority of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to give you thank you this morning for the note.